there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in the operational side of running television, cable, and digital on-demand entertainment programming, then this is the episode for you because my guest is the general manager of content acquisitions and operations at the Discovery Corporation, which includes everything from HDTV, the Food Network, the Travel Channel, so many TLC, the Cooking Channel, on and on. There are 18 different brands. But before I introduce you to Jonathan Sickle, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you an exclusive look at the episodes and the professionals we're going to be featuring that week. And I assure you, it is super easy to do. Just go to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign up box is right there. Now, my friends, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Jonathan Sickle, the general manager of content acquisitions and operations at Discovery. Jonathan first began working at Discovery Communications in 2002. He was vice president of business affairs in which he was responsible for overseeing programming deals across Discovery's domestic and international cable operations. Prior to working at Discovery, Jonathan worked at America Online, where he was vice president of programming business development. Jonathan is a lawyer by academic training who graduated cum laude from Harvard Law School. And after graduating, he spent two years working at the law firm Skadden Arps in L.A. That was before he decided, eh, enough with those long hours working in a law firm. I'm going into the entertainment world. And he moved to E-Television Networks as director and eventually vice president of business and legal affairs. Jonathan, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you still caffeinated and ready to go? I am caffeinated and ready to go and so happy and honored to be here with you. It's a really special conversation for me. Well, likewise. And I am so excited to showcase not only your work experience and your wisdom, but I think something that is just as important. It's one of those things that's like the secret sauce. It's the spirit and the energy that you put out there, Jonathan, which is so important, I want to say to our young listeners, to make sure they try to find supervisors like Jonathan. So let's kick things off by talking about what you are doing now in your role as general manager of content acquisitions and operations at Discovery. What does that mean? And what are your responsibilities? Well, that is a mouthful. I will say that my title, and thanks for the great introduction. I couldn't have summarized my life, at least my early career days, better than you did. I returned in 2015 from London, where I was working to take on this role at Scripps, which was the company that was eventually acquired uh, by Discovery, where I am now. I focus on Discovery's lifestyle networks, and those are networks that include HGTV, 
Food Network, Travel Channel, TLC, Investigation Discovery, our new joint venture with Chip and Joe Gaines in Waco, Texas, among others, both on the linear side, on the digital side. We also have magazines in partnership with Hearst Food, HGTV, and Pioneer Woman. So in all about 11 or so brands that I help manage the business affairs of on a day-to-day basis. That means everything from helping on the business dealings with our producers to managing our talent business, working with our talent, helping to develop our business association with them, whether it's talent relations, whether it's helping our company figure out the next big thing. So at Food Network, we are launching a new app called Food Network Kitchen, which is sort of a next generation of Food Network where on demand, you can cook live with our top chefs and influencers. So it's a broad range of work. My day changes by the minute, both from what I'm doing on the business development side, as well as on the brand side. Thank you for that. So I'm just going to go by my very basic knowledge of some of what you're doing. When you talk about content acquisitions, does that mean that you oversee any new shows or any new networks or all of the above that Discovery might want to bring into the family? I work hand in hand with our creative teams where typical days we may have a great producer who comes to us on HGTV and says, I have a great new couple or a family that redesigns houses in some faraway place. And then I'll work with our team, we'll work with our creatives to kind of figure out the production, the terms, the rights, the talent that we're going to include. It may be how we're going to exploit the content on what platforms, how we work with our international partners to help ensure that our regions around the world have access to the great content that we're creating here in the U.S. on our brand. So yes, I play a a part along with other members of our team in helping guide our networks, helping build our audiences that we have and reach new ones. Actually, on that point, who are the audiences and are they different for each of your networks? They can vary. So on the other side, I focus on lifestyle. We also have factual, which is another part of Discovery Inc. Discovery, Animal Planet, Science Channel are examples. Our primary audience are women 25 to 54. We have working parents in upscale, you know, good homes that are interested in the content that we produce. They may not be travelers for Travel Channel, but they like to explore the world. They may not be the best bakers, but they're really interested in sitting back and watching a beautiful cake be made. And so while our core audience on television is 25 to 54, we don't discriminate. I mean, we are interested in men. We're interested in younger people. And that's a big focus of our future as content becomes disintermediated, meaning necessarily sign up to a cable subscription or direct TV or whatever it may be, and then get all your programming, you may choose different services. So what we try to do is figure out how we 
get to our audiences of different ages and backgrounds, whatever platform they're using. Okay. It's a really important part of my day. Wonderful. What about the operations side of your responsibilities? What is included on that for Discovery's Lifestyle Networks? It can be everything from figuring out how we are getting payments made to our producers and talent to helping our international teams look at formats that they can exploit from the U.S. and bring to foreign regions. The corner of what I do is is helping ensure that our magazines, even though the magazine business is in a, a different state than it was 10 years ago, but how we keep our brand alive by having our talent and our color and spirit show up on different platforms. It's helping work with our teams on if we're launching a cooking video service, what talent might work and how do we help get them to the right place, to the right kitchen on time. So it can range uh, from day to day. Okay. Before I ask you to take us into a typical day or maybe a typical week, you said something about bringing potentially different formats from the US to an international marketplace. By that, did you mean like digital versus analog or what did you mean? Let's take an example, Chopped. If you're familiar with Chopped is one of our most successful series on Food Network, where we have contestants who open boxes and see ingredients that are unexpected and they have to make plates and and creations from unexpected ingredients with judges in front of them. So what we have done when I was living abroad in London, we brought Chopped to the UK, we brought Chopped format to South Africa. So what we do is we look at how do we take the essence of what is so successful here in the US, for example, on a show and move it to a different region. One thing I learned, which was a bit of a slap in the face when I moved abroad, is that just because someone in Kansas loves a particular show, it doesn't mean that somebody in Eastern Europe, in Poland, is going to like it. There are different ingredients or different cultural norms or different ways of making a house or how we live that don't necessarily translate. So taking the essence of an idea and then adapting it for a region is an example of taking a format like Chopped or like House Hunters International might be another example. Gotcha. Okay. I'm so glad I asked because I clearly had totally missed that. (laughs) (laughs) So Jonathan, you already alluded to the fact that sometimes your days change by the minute, but could you just give us a sampling of what we might be seeing and hearing if we were a fly on the wall of (laughs) your office? Sure. Well, I have the privilege of working across many different brands with enjoyment and entertainment at their heart. But again, whether it's TLC, whether it's HGTV, whether it's Food Network, any minute of the day, there's something hopping at those networks. We found a great new star on YouTube, potential star on YouTube, a great baker. How do we make sure she is part of our family? How do we test her in a pilot? I'll go from that to 
figuring out how we launch a subscription video on demand service in two months in the food space to figuring out how we look at the changing dynamics of our environment, meaning our audience changes, and how do we work on productions to ensure that we have the rights that we need to use content on any platform that may come across one of the great unique elements or defining factors of discovery is that we own much of our content. So we're able to take it and use it and test it on different digital platforms, cut it up in short form bites for those consumers who are looking for a train ride entertainment experience. So sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's, you know, there are government changes that we have to adapt to, or there are uh, press inquiries into some new way that we're doing business that I have to jump and help give insight in. So it is never the same thing. I am exhausted just (laughs) listening to you. How do you switch gears and focus and keep track of all the minutia, (laughs) even the big picture ideas that are involved in all of those different examples that you laid out there? Well, I'll tell you another little gem that I sort of grew up with was wake up just a little bit anxious. (laughs) Just know that, you know, you're only as good as what you do tomorrow. Now, I don't totally believe that, but I do feel like I have to be on my toes a lot. I have to move direction. I have to be flexible because there is no way I can plan any day for sure. I mean, it's just going to change. Whatever I have planned is going to be unexpected. I have to say one thing about growing older and getting more experience is I am calmer knowing that I'm not sure what's going to happen next. I have to be in triage mode a lot of the time and a focus on what's the most critical thing I need to get done right now. It might be a little nice coffee that keeps me going. It might be a walk around the block, but I am ready. I sort of come into the day knowing that I may step in a puddle. I may do something that I feel is right, but offend somebody or replicate what somebody else is doing. And I don't have any intention, but I realize that's going to happen. I could either let it get to me, I could either let the stress get to me, or I could just focus on the fact that I have only so many hours in a day that I do this for a living, so I have to make the best of it. And I bring humor. I try. I have terrible jokes. Most people, you know, I try to get them to laugh and they look like they've just eaten a stick of mustard, but I'm going to give up because I know that if I'm positive and just don't take myself too seriously, I know I'm going to make mistakes every day, but I have good intentions that things are going to be okay. Well, I'm so glad you said that, Jonathan, because I think it would be useful for our young listeners to know that even someone who has made it up to the tippy top of a company like Discovery and is the general manager is going to make a mistake and that they need to learn early in their career. And by the way, I'm guessing you also made mistakes early in your career. I certainly (laughs) did. And the idea that none of it is fatal. And the important thing is to just 
learn and try not to make the same mistake again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have, Jonathan, for our young listeners who may want to get into this side of the business in a company like Discovery, working with lifestyle networks like the Food Channel or the Travel Channel? Well, I don't think there's any particular path. And to me, that's a sign of relief. I never thought I would be the general manager of a television network or that I would be in London overseeing our business when I was in law school. There are certain things, you know, if you want to practice law, you have to go to law school. If you want to do M&A at a company, it's probably good to have business degree or, or business experience. That said, for the most part, there's no prescribed path to doing what you want to do. And, you know, I've had lawyers who went on to be incredible programmers. I've had programmers who who decided to go back to law school. I think, one, that having the view that whatever I'm doing today doesn't mean that's what I'm going to be doing a year from now. Having that open-minded view that you're not stuck ever. Hey, if you find a mentor If you find somebody who's willing to take you along with him or her, that is the best opportunity you will have to succeed, especially somebody you admire. It doesn't happen. I don't know if it happens even 50% of the time. But finding people, whether it's networking, whether it's saying, hey, I'd like to know a little bit more about what you're doing. An example is when I was at the gym, of Travel Channel, I went around the country talking to advertisers about our programming and about our network strategy. While I was on the road, one of my colleagues who ran HGTV, we spent a lot of time together just getting to know each other. He ended up becoming the head of international for my prior company, and he needed somebody to be in London. And he said, hey, I remember the chats we had. I remember your viewpoint. How'd you like to try something new? You never know where the next opportunity is going to come from, but you just have to keep asking questions. You have to keep raising your voice. If you're an introvert, and I tend to be one, just saying, okay, I'm going to go up to somebody I don't know and say, how did you end up there? And you never know if that spark of a conversation is going to lead to something new. Oh, what wonderful advice, Jonathan. What about knowing how dynamic this industry is and the changes and how quickly it's evolving. Where do you think a young person who may only be in the workforce now, may have only just graduated from undergrad now, where should they be looking where it might be easier to break into this industry or might give them more opportunities to move up the corporate ladder perhaps more quickly than at a huge company like a discovery? Well, I think, again, and happy to answer any questions I can from individuals, I always want to take the time to meet with younger people and and help them as people help me throughout my career. If you want to go into production or programming, start as a DP or an AP associate producer or a production assistant at a production company. Look at your network. There are times when I'll get a random unsolicited email from somebody who went to my school who happens to live in the area and will just make a connection. And that will lead from one thing to another. I think 
getting your foot in the door, either through connections that you may have, through relatives, through friends, just getting into a company, whatever size it is, it's very likely that that won't last a long time. It's a beginning career step or an early career step. Don't worry if it's not exactly what you want to do because you have the opportunity to meet people who could take you along the way, who take you into different routes. I never thought when I was in college and at the Woodrow Wilson School of Princeton studying public policy that I would end up at a television network that helps redesign homes. That was the last thing from my mind. I thought I'd be working in inner cities or designing urban planning projects. And that didn't happen. But I do think that just getting somewhere and then finding connections where you are to something new is a way to get ahead, meeting people, being open to kind of getting out of your comfort zone and going up to somebody and saying, hey, can I just sit with you for 15 minutes and talk to you about what you do? You'd be surprised how many people really appreciate uh, being asked that question. Great. Actually, on that point of your major in public and international affairs or public policy Mm -hmm. at Princeton, did you have any idea, Jonathan, what you were going to do with your degree when you graduated? No, not at all. Let me just caveat that. When I was a senior in college, I did apply to law school and I deferred for a year. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was interested in architecture and geography and policy issues. And all my professors kind of said, well, get a grounding in law. You don't have to practice law, but just getting the education to be able to debate, to be able to stand your ground, to be able to have a voice might be helpful for whatever you do next. So that did set the foundation for me. But I went to Singapore for a year. I grew up in New Jersey and I went to college in New Jersey and I felt I wanted to get out of New Jersey and experience another part of the world. Singapore, where they speak English and there are malls at every corner. So it's a little like New Jersey after all, but I did get to travel and get out of my comfort zone there. And then ended up at law school and had an amazing experience studying under a professor named Roger Fisher, who has since passed, but wrote an amazing short book of negotiation called Getting to Yes. And a book I will always recommend is a short book in negotiating tactics. And I thought I'd go and be a negotiator, be a peace negotiator. But after I graduated from college, there weren't that many job openings for peace negotiators. So I settled for a law firm. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that they used your talents. I have no doubt. Mm-hmm. So I have Two final questions, Jonathan. Could you share a time in your professional life when you struggled? Maybe you even failed at something. In my case, I was fired twice in my 40s. And the most important thing here is to share how you persevered and maybe a lesson you learned in the process. Without thinking too deeply on this, I can tell you, so I was at a law firm for two years and then decided I just didn't see myself long-term in a law firm. So I I ended up at E! Entertainment Television in Los Angeles doing business and legal affairs, negotiating talent agreements, dealing with unions, working on deals for distribution of E! I had a great boss, but I was left on my own devices, which was probably not a good thing back then. And 
I wrote a letter to one of our talent because he was not showing up to work on time. He was not doing the job that he should have. So I decided to write him a letter to say, listen, this is not appropriate. I didn't think that that letter could have a life. And it did. And I never forget earlier days, I think I was at the gym walking on the treadmill. And this talent had gone to one of the local news shows and says, look what I got from E! Entertainment Television. And I saw my letter on the air with my name on it. Oh, my God. That was horrific. I mean, I thought, okay, I've lost my job. I humiliated myself and my company. This is just one of many examples. And I realized, wow, I really made a mistake. I didn't think about the consequences of what I was doing. I didn't have the experience, maybe, to put it mildly. And I decided, okay, I have to own up to this. Even if my bosses hadn't seen this yet, it's going to get out. And I went up to them, went to the president of the company, and I said, I screwed up. And luckily, they gave me some grace. I got a talking to, that's for sure, about like, think about your consequences. But it was such a great learning experience. And I think about that every day. When I write an email, it could get in the hands of anybody. If I send a text, it could be open to the world to see. And if I hadn't had that experience below, I may not have learned that lesson. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing that example, Jonathan. Final question. If you could go back to school, back to Princeton and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? I would say, look at the world. I mean, looking at books, getting grades were more important, but meet people. I have kids of my own, and sure, I want them to do well, but I want them to get the best from the people that they're with on a day-to-day basis. We are part of a community, many communities every day. I wish, looking back, I don't have any regrets, but I look back and say, maybe if I had explored more, I would have been here faster. I would have found a passion that I never would have thought about by taking my economics classes. Again, I'm so appreciative of where I am and so grateful every day. So I don't have a lot of complaints. Yeah, we've got our thorns every day and what we do. But I do think that giving yourself a break, giving yourself breathing room in college, in your early years, saying, What I'm doing now isn't necessarily what I have to do in the future. So let's talk to people. Let's meet people. Let's find out paths that were never thought existed. That open-mindedness, I think I could have benefited from more if I started again. Well, I have to say one thing we didn't touch on that I'm so disappointed we just ran out of time is to get to speak to the organizer of the world's <laughs> longest banana split. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Jonathan helped to organize 4.39 miles and over 8,000 people 
in creating the world's longest banana split. I have no doubt, Jonathan, that that has served you well today. And I also want to say that now that I've had the opportunity to hear more about what you've studied as an undergrad and in your graduate school program, the fact that you studied architecture there's a dotted line there to HDTV. And the mm-hmm. fact that you studied geography, hello, Travel Channel. Mm-hmm. So you never know, our young listeners, just how seemingly random subjects that you study in school or activities, extracurriculars that you're involved in, will come back to help you. Because Jonathan, I guarantee you that the team members that you have at Discovery are the beneficiaries of all that you've studied and all of the various work experiences that you've had today. Thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. This was just wonderful. Thank you so much. It's just been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.